Coming to you via the internet and your friends at PipesMagazine.com, it's the Pipes Magazine radio show. The show where you'll never hear the host say LOL, OMG, or ROFL because he can't spell it. Now, I invite you to sit back, relax, the smoking lamp is lit. Here's your host, Brian Levine. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is the Pipes Magazine radio show. Yes, the sometimes irreverent, sometimes educational, but always entertaining, weekly, adult-oriented, pipe-smoking broadcast. Broadcast, there we go. Yeah, so if you're a kid and you're not of smoking age, turn it off, tune it down, go away. We don't want you here until you're 18. I am coming to you from the Smokefield Recording Studio built here at my office on the first full day of spring, I believe, but uh, spring has yet to sprung completely. However, I have officially announced there will be no more cold, nasty weather around me. Yeah, it may be cool and chilly, but there will be no more cold, nasty ice and freezing stuff. That's over for the year. It's all somebody else. Look out, Southern Hemisphere, because here it comes. All right, on tonight's show going to go back and talk a little bit about uh, sub-brands, sub-brands of the major pipe factories. My guest coming up, Phil Morgan of the Missouri Meerschaum Pipe Company. Uh, update on the JDRF auction and some uh, big stuff coming up this week that I am really happy to talk about. That'll be after we talk to Phil. Mailbag, rant, all that coming up in uh, tonight's wonderful episode of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And uh, coming up for me next week, hey, it's been two months, but uh, construction will begin on rebuilding our house, and uh, I have to be honest with you, the worst part of it is, besides having cold, drafty, concrete floors, um, sharing a bathroom. We're down to one bathroom, and I'm used to having a house with three, so... That's been the worst part, but uh, hopefully in about two, three weeks that'll all be done. Yeah, we gotta we gotta get the drywall back in, pick out paint because I gotta repaint some walls, and there'll be some uh, discussions about that. And uh, if you've ever gone island shopping for a kitchen island, uh, not a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, I did go back to IKEA and uh, shopped for islands there. So. All right, everybody, let's get the show going. So sit back, relax, fire up a bowl. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company, and here we go. This is Internet Radio. There's nothing quite like working in my shop or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. The term one-stop shop is so overused. There's no place that is literally a one-stop shop. Well, guess what? When it comes to your quality tobacco products, there is. It's CupOJoes.com. With hundreds of pipe tobacco blends, thousands of pipes in stock, a wide variety of cigars, coffees, accessories, and so much more. All you have to do is go to CupOJoes.com, and there it is. CupOJoes.com. Quality products, extraordinary prices. Hi, this is James Earl Jones, and you're listening to a very, very fine program called The Pipes Magazine Radio Show. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome back. In just a few minutes, Phil will be on the phone with me. Then we've got music, mailbag, JDRF auction announcement stuff, and a rant all at the end of the show. But in the meantime, I want to talk about uh, sub-brands. 
brands from factories that aren't the premier brands. So here's how it kind of breaks down. When you look at a factory like Camoys, Dunhill, Barling, Sassini, those older factory names, even today Savinelli, Stanwell, those factories all try to produce their ideal brand name pipe. Now when a pipe or a piece of wood isn't going to live up to that quality of their premier brand, what are they going to do with it? You don't want to throw away that piece of wood. You've been aging it now for a couple of years. You paid for it. You've run it through a couple of treatments already. What are you going to do with it? Well, there's two things that happen. Sub-brands or a secondary line, or they hold it off for private labeling. Now, when you go into a smoke shop, you will see basket pipes assorted shapes and sizes thrown into a basket, usually sitting on the counter somewhere, and they're all about the same price. And then you'll see these off-brands or secondary brands or sub-brands. So we'll just call them sub-brands from now on because that's how Pipedia.org identifies them. These sub-brands are pipes that these factories were trying to make a premier pipe out of. They're trying to make a premium Camoys, a premium Sheraton, a premium Barling. And for some reason, that piece of wood didn't work out. So they've gone through, they've made the pipe, they're working on the pipe, and it doesn't fit the shape code, or it's got too many fills in it, or they go to sandblast it, and the sandblast gets too craggy, too deep for it. So these factories created sub-brands. You can see a list of endless amounts of sub-brands coming from GBD in particular, who I think made their sub-brands specific to one area. So, for example, a Digby might be just a U.S. brand name. A City Deluxe might be a London-based brand name and a way for them to sell these pipes. Now, what you're getting when you buy one of these sub-brand pipes is You're getting essentially the same quality of wood, the same care in aging and curing that block of wood and making the pipe, but what you're getting is a block of wood that somehow was not going to make it up to their standards for the premium pipe. One of the differences that you will notice between the premium brand name pipe and the sub-brand is in the stem work. Oftentimes, when the bowl wasn't going to work out, they'd put a simple stem on it, do a little finishing to it, and get it out the door. It was a way for them to recover some of the cost out of it and still make some money on it. So you may have to realign it a little bit or open it up a little bit, or it may be perfectly fine. Uh, The reason this all came up is because we're talking about pipes in all different price ranges, And I make no judgment against anybody that smokes a pipe in whatever price range. If you smoke a pipe, you're a friend of mine. I don't care what it it costs. But when you look at my very simple Disney collection, I did the research to find out years ago where some of these pipes came from. And I know for a fact that I have a Disneyland pipe that is stamped Disneyland London, England, and it is identical to the stamping of how Sheraton stamped their international selections. The difference is 
that instead of saying international selection, they left it blank and Disneyland put their stamp in there. This pipe is dead-on identical for a ringer for a shape of a traditional Sheraton factory pipe. Uh, Also, if you look at my Disney collection, you'll notice several Cadogan-era Kamoi shapes in there. Those pipes are identical to some of the Kamois that were being made. However, they've got fills in them or they've got a flaw in it or the shape, is the, the grain didn't work out, whatever it was. So they saved them as a private label, sold them off to Disney. Had they not been able to sell them to Disney World, they would have gone into one of Kamoi's vast private label or uh, sub-brands. The difference between the sub-brands and when you're buying a basket pipe that might have come from that factory, uh, the basket pipe at the beginning was identified as being a piece of wood that wasn't going, they weren't even going to try to attempt to make it into a premium brand. So what they did was they did a quick finishing on it, put a quick stem on it, and get it out the door, try to get what money they can out of it, because they've got to recover some costs for having that wood and going through that process. But look around at pipe at pipedia.org. You'll see a ton of the sub-brands from uh, GBD, from Kamois, from Sassini. Start to learn who these are. For the price at a third to a quarter of what you'd pay for the premium brand, you get a chance at smoking something that uh, has some really good old wood on it. May need a little touch of work. but All right, there you go, a little... Uh, little behind the scenes in a pipe factory in just a few minutes phil morgan will be on the phone the year was 1849 zachary taylor was sworn in as the 12th president of the united states the u.s flag remained fixed at 30 stars edgar Allan poe was found dead in baltimore Congressman Abraham Lincoln patented a buoying device, the only patent ever filed by a future president. William Bond was the first person to photograph the moon through a telescope. And gold was discovered in far-off California. And in that same year, also in California, Henry Sutliff founded his small tobacco company in San Francisco, founded on the principles of giving the public superior tobacco products for those with very discriminating tastes. Now, 165 years later, that tradition continues. Sutliff Tobacco Company has been setting the standard for pipe tobacco ever since. Take a quiz on our website to have the perfect blend suggestion for your tastes. Or just browse around to explore all of the wide variety of fine products America's oldest pipe tobacco company has to offer. Lots of things have changed since 1849, but Sutliff Tobacco Company's commitment to making the finest pipe tobacco on earth has not. Visit sutliff-tobacco.com for information on where you can find all of your favorite blends, from the sweetest aromatics to the richest English mixtures. We are back, and I am pleased to welcome to the Pipes Magazine radio show from Missouri, the Show Me State, General Manager of Missouri Meerschaum Company, Phil Morgan. Phil, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. We're, uh, we're always glad to, uh, to participate in any type of public forum that we can, so I appreciate it. I'm just glad you got a good-sounding phone line in Washington, Missouri. 
Well, these cans work pretty well here. We we have the the best tin cans that you can imagine here. I tell you. So, tell me, where'd you grow up? How'd you get into the business? Let's get everybody to know who you are. Okay. Well, I I am a an original Missouri boy. I grew up uh, down in southeast Missouri in a small town uh, called Fredericktown. And uh, uh, eventually uh, left the area, uh, went to went into the military, went to college, uh, became a CPA. Actually, my as far as a professional background, other than a professional corncob pipe maker, uh, the professional background was a, as a certified public accountant. And uh, I eventually got out of public accounting and went into industry, into managing uh, a large printing company. And uh, that company was bought out by another large company. And uh, I told my wife, I said, look, if we learn to live modestly, we can retire for a while. So we did that. And uh, the way I got into the corncob pipe business is uh, after we had retired, we were sitting at home one night and I was reading the paper. And I'm always looking at the one ads just because in the area that we live in, I like to see what's going on uh, economically, who's hiring, who isn't. And so I was looking at the paper that night and uh, I told Pat, I said, Pat, you wouldn't believe it. There's an ad in the paper for the general manager of the corncob pipe company. And I said, how often are you going to get a chance to manage a corncob pipe company? So I uh, put a resume together and sent it to him. And uh, that's been, gosh, almost almost exactly five years ago now. And here I am managing a corncob pipe company. So that's kind of a, uh, a snapshot of my background and how I got here. Did you smoke? Prior to uh, joining Missouri Mearsham? Yep. Yeah, I did, Brian. I was, uh, and I was thinking earlier about when did I actually smoke a pipe for the first time. And I can, I kind of pinpointed the year. I was, would have been in my early 20s. And it was, I was reading uh, The Hobbit or the, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And I remember uh, if in the Lord of the Rings trilogy with Gandalf smoking his pipe, and I, and I thought, well, I, that's something I've always wanted to try. You know, my grandfather smoked a pipe, and uh, so I, I went and I bought. I'm sure that I what I ended up doing was going to uh, uh, a drugstore and bought a, uh, a Dr. Grabo pipe, and I think I still have it somewhere, and uh, a pouch of Borkum Rift tobacco and uh, I remember sitting out on the porch reading Lord of the Rings and smoking that pipe and that's the uh, that that's how I started smoking a uh, uh, a pipe and I've kind of got away from pipe smoking just a little bit and started smoking cigars with all my friends and then we uh, and got into the you know smoking cigarettes I my wife and I used to go to a lot of uh, NASCAR races and uh, oh, IndyCar races, and this is, we're talking back in the 70s and early 80s, this was back in the days whenever they would actually come through the stands with, with handfuls of, uh, like, Campbell filters uh, in the, those small packs that I think maybe had five cigarettes in it, yeah. and, you know, they would throw those up into the stands, so we kind of got, at that time, uh, into smoking cigarettes, then eventually just got away from cigarettes altogether and uh, was smoking primarily cigars. And then 
started picking up after I retired, uh, started picking up the pipe again, and then uh, obviously whenever I became the general manager of Missouri Meerschaum, I've uh, you know definitely got back into the into smoking pipes and have been for five years now. It's nice when you got a few pipes laying around at work that you can go pick one up and try it. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. You know, the, uh, I have kind of an endless supply, and I'm kind of the the guinea pig for anything new that we come up with uh, that we want to try. And uh, so I've got kind of an endless supply here. And then, of course, the ones that uh, don't quite make it through the quality control that are still smokable, but they just don't look that good. Uh, I have an endless supply of those. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, if you're a pipe smoker, this is a great place to be. Yeah, I, I call it quality control. <laughs> so tell us the tell us briefly the history of Missouri Meerschaum. It's a couple hundred and something years old now. Yeah, this uh, this year is our hundred and forty fifth year. Uh, the the uh, guy that started our company, his name was Henry Tibby. Uh, he started making corn cob pipes in eighteen sixty nine. Uh, in right here in Washington, Missouri, not in this particular building. He was a few blocks away from here originally, but he started. Uh, he was a wood turner, and uh, the the legend is that either a farmer or a trapper came through this area and asked him if he could uh, uh, make some corn cob pipes or turn the corn cob pipes on his lathes, and he tried it, and it was successful, and uh, he basically became a corncob pipe manufacturer and uh, quit the wood turning altogether. And he formed a company. I, the company actually uh, dates back to 1872 uh, as a corncob pipe manufacturer. Uh, but we've been making them since 1869. Wow. And the, the name Meerschaum, was that, was that brought in because Meerschaum pipes were much more popularly known then? Well, I think the, the the reason that I've uh, been told that the, that he used the term Meerschaum uh, was two di- for two different reasons, really. The uh, it was kind of an 1860s version of marketing uh, that uh, it, um, true Meerschaum pipes were known in those days for their cool smoking uh, uh, capabilities or characteristics, rather, and. Uh, so, and whenever he took the corn cob, and I think he did this from the very beginning, he took a corn cob and coated it with plaster of Paris and then put a little bit of shellac on the outside of it. And uh, because that plaster of Paris was white, it, uh, I think in his mind he was saying, hey, this is kind of a Missouri version of a Meerschaum pipe. So, <laughs> uh, so he called it Missouri Meerschaum. And unbelievably, that name has stuck for. Uh, you know, 145 years, even out on, of course, we have it on, uh, out on our building, but you can even see the ghost of uh, old paint, uh, you know, on the building where it, uh, you know, has Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipes, 1872. So that, that name has stuck. Now, has the, has the company stayed within the same family or has it moved? Mm-hmm. No, it, uh, the, the Tibby family owned it uh, till Oh gosh, the late 1800s, and then it was bought by another local uh, family here, the Otto family. And the Otto family, they actually owned it the longest. They owned it uh, through the 1970s into the late 1970s, 
and they sold it to uh, an investor group uh, who then sold it to another individual who then sold it in the late 80s to the, the, uh, the three people who own it now, uh, who are their absentee owners who are not, they, and who don't live here. Wow. Do you mind sharing some of the uh, historic and current production numbers? Sure. The, uh, way back when, I guess the heyday of probably of uh, pipe smoking in general, but especially the, the corncob pipe business, would have been back in the, oh, the 1930s, 1940s, into the 50s. And at one time, we have some marketing literature here that uh, that says that just this company alone, just Missouri Meerschaum alone, shipped 25 million pipes in a year <clears throat> and had 125 employees. And wow. now keep in mind, that's just Missouri Meerschaum. There were, at one time, probably back in that same time frame, there were four other corncob pipe companies in the area. Now, Missouri Meerschaum always was the largest, uh, but uh, Missouri Meerschaum itself shipped 25 million, had 125 employees. And, you know, over the years, uh, you know, as we all know, pipe smoking uh, uh, diminished or decreased over the years. And uh, right now, and we're on the upswing, just as I think everybody in the pipe business is, uh, that uh, we ship, we make and ship about 700,000 pipes per year. And is that just the just the United States, or do you do you go globally? No, that, that, that's 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 globally. You know, we ship all over the world. Uh, we ship a lot into Europe, in, into Japan, Australia, uh, and just about I won't say every comp- or country in the in the world, but uh, but quite a few of them. That's a lot of corn going down the uh, going through the factory. Yes, it is. Yeah, and we have, as far as number of employees now, uh, we have oh it, about thirty five employees right now. So take us through the process a little bit. I mean, first of all, it's not a it, it's not your traditional ear of corn that you're going to find in the grocery store. Orville Redenbacher's not making popcorn out of. <laughs> Not thank God he never tried to do that. The uh, the the corn that we use is it's a special hybrid uh, that we've developed in the University of Missouri back before smoking was a was politically uh, incorrect. You know, the University of Missouri helped us with the hybrid, but it's a it's a hybrid of four old open pollinated varieties of corn that were grown back in the 1920s 1930s. Uh, the, the characteristic that we're looking for in a corn cob uh, is the si- obviously is the size of the cob. You know, most farmers nowadays are that's the least thing that they're interested in. They're looking in that uh, that that cob just be as full of grain as possible. And we do care about the grain. I don't want to say we don't, but the, our primary emphasis is on the cob. We plant at a lower density in the field just so that the cob, more nutrients go to the cob. And the characteristics we're looking for uh, are, the, uh, are in the interior of the cob. The, the very interior of a cob is called the pith. The next ring or the next section or uh, uh, element of the corn cob is called the woody ring. And that, on our corn cobs, that woody ring literally is as hard as wood. And we, that's, that's what our hybrid uh, is known for. And we want that woody ring to be as large as possible and as hard as possible. 
and that's why uh, you know that's why we have we grow our own corn. We have a 150 acre field that we grow our own corn, you know, just for that purpose. So you went from the military to being a CPA to now overseeing a hybrid corn growing operation. That, yeah, that that's that's kind of it. And uh, you know, I had no background in farming whatsoever, but I certainly have uh, you know have become familiar with at least corn farming. Let me put it that way. Uh, and and what I tell everybody that really that part of the business, you know, growing the corn is the most difficult part of this business. It's uh, uh, the the marketing, the sales. Uh, you know, thank goodness for the the resurgence in pipe smoking. That part is is not difficult. It's very important, but it's not difficult. You know, the hardest part of this business is uh, is growing the corn. And I say that because every year you're subject to the the whims of the weather. Uh, we're located right on the Missouri River uh, in Washington. Our farm is across on the north side of the river, about seven miles west, but it's right in the floodplain. And that that's good because that's great fertile land, but it also floods over there. And uh, we've uh, since I've been here, we have not uh, the field has not been flooded, but uh, the the ground can get so saturated that will it will affect the the growth of the corn. So you've got to worry about that part of it. Uh, two years ago, uh, we had that severe drought in the yeah. Midwest, and uh, that thank God well, our field is irrigated. But uh, irrigation does not make up for. Uh, totally for the lack of rain. So we, our crop that year uh, was only about 30% of what we had hoped it to be. Uh, and we had hoped uh, that that was, we were going to be able to rebuild our cob inventory and all that. And uh, we did get enough cobs just to get us through the year, but uh, it certainly didn't allow us to, to build the inventory. So every year, uh, I guess, and the the farmers in the area, when I tell them that story, they say, "Hey, Phil, that's farming. You know, you, you're, <laughs> you know, you're uh, you're singing the blues to them about it. Really doesn't count for much because they're uh, they're up against that every year. But we're up against it, uh, you know, because if we run out of cobs, then we run out of our main raw material for making the pipes. But uh, uh, last year was a good year. Uh, we the, the corn crop came out really well uh and this next year or this year uh should be even a better year for us so re- rebuilding the inventory the, uh the cob inventory so that takes a little pressure off of us but that really is the hardest part of this business is uh is growing the corn we're going to take a break right here when we come back we'll ask more about the uh more about the corn cob pipe business so we'll be back in just a minute Smokingpipes.com has been my family's tradition for over 10 years. My granddad enjoys his evening pipe on the front porch. My father prefers his in the study, and well, me, I like to hang outside the local coffee shop with a pipe in one hand and my smartphone in the other. The best selection is at Smokingpipes.com. They always have the exact pipe I'm looking for. Savinelli, Peterson, Dunhill, and great stuff from dozens of top artisans around the world. Plus, they have over 70 tobacco brands with 750 blends to choose from. Lighters, tampers, tobacco jars, yep, they have that too. But the best part about SmokingPipes.com is that it's easy to order from my computer, tablet, or even my smartphone. And if Granddad has trouble with technology, he can always call them at 1-888-366-0345. 
I heard that. Do you think I'm deaf? I'm the one who told you about smokingpipes.com, and I had a smartphone before you. You kids today, blah, blah. Smokingpipes.com. Make it your family tradition. This is Internet Radio. We are back, still talking to Phil Morgan on the Pipes Magazine radio show. Phil, from the time you get the cob out of the field, how long until it becomes a pipe? Is there any curing process, anything special that goes on? Yeah, yeah there definitely is. The, whenever you, uh, whenever we harvest the corn, uh, it still has obviously still has the grain on it because we're harvesting the whole thing. So we uh, we take it after we harvest it. We take it to what we call our corn crib, which is a corn shelling operation. And once we have it all out of the field, we, we shell it, and then the cobs are brought over to the plant. And ideally, the cobs, uh, we store them on the third floor, the, actually the second and third floor, and just let them uh, air dry for about two years. Now, that's ideal. What wow. has happened, like I've said earlier, because of the uh, some of the whims of the weather that have affected us in the last few years, uh, we've had to start using the cobs a lot sooner, so we developed a kind of a makeshift drying operation uh, that we dry the cobs uh, several days, and uh, and it actually that has worked fairly well. It's still not as good as letting them uh, letting them dry naturally for a couple of years, and that's what we want to get back to. That's why when I mentioned earlier about we wanted to rebuild our cob inventory. It's it's mainly so that we can get back to the drying, letting the cobs dry naturally. That's whenever they dry over a longer period of time, that woody ring becomes even harder, uh, making an even better pipe. Uh, so so yes, there is uh, the the drying process is is extremely important, and uh, ideally you would leave the corn in the field. Uh, longer and longer, a lot longer than normal farmers would. But the problem with that, the problem that we have is since we are trying to grow such a large cob, it tends to want to pull the uh, the, the corn stalk over. So if you get any uh, heavy wind that blows through the field, uh, it it'll tend to blow the uh, blow the corn over. So we want to get it out of the field just as as soon as we can after the grain has dried enough. Uh, but then that means that the cob is not anywhere near being uh, ready to use for pipes. You know, so it takes. Uh, you know, like I said, ideally we would let it dry naturally for a couple of years. But uh, recently we've had to. Uh, dry them in it like this makeshift dryer operation that has worked pretty well now this since we did have a decent crop last year uh we will have some of what we grew last year will be able to dry naturally for oh i'd say a little over a year uh and then assuming that we have another good crop this year then that crop should get back to the drying the doing the natural drying for two years how many pipes do you get out of each Cob. Well, as far as planning purposes, I only plan on getting one. Uh, uh, but if we, if the cob is the diameter and the length that we like, you'll get at least two, and then sometimes even three. Rare, rarely three, but sometimes three. You'll get, uh, as you would expect, you know, from the bottom of the cob, you would get a fairly large. 
uh, section of cob to make one of the larger pipes, and then as you go up the cob, it, it gets a little bit smaller. You know, so the very top of the cob we may end up using for a miniature, one of the corn cob miniatures. But as far as planning purposes, I, I only plan on one. And it's, it's good that I've done that the last couple of years because in the year that we had the drought, uh, even though we irrigated the field, the the lack of water didn't so much affect the diameter of the cob, but it certainly affected the length of the cob. So, uh, and then last year, uh, the corn that we grew last year, we're getting, uh, on average, I would say two out of each cob. And it's not like you can just go out there and buy more land and start planting more. You got to. You know, not nowadays it isn't. Uh, and even even if you try. Uh, now to go rent more land uh, to grow more, uh, the the farm the price of grain has been so high the last uh, couple of years that uh, what you pay for renting the, the land is uh, uh, just outrageous. I don't mean that as a, as critical of the farmers uh, because they if they can make the you know make the revenue from growing crops then you can't blame them at all. So. So no, we can't. Uh, we're kind of stuck with the, the 150 acres, uh, and it is—it's good land. That's not the problem, and it's irrigated. It's—it's it's just the, uh, you know, just the whims of the weather. What do you do with the with the grain that comes off the cob? We we sell it to a uh, uh, a local uh, elevator company or, or grain company, and it is. A lot of people ask, well, what? Do they just assume, well, it's just. Uh, grain that you would feed to the animals, but it's not. It's actually food-grade uh, corn, and a lot of it, 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 there's a lot more white corn uh, than there is yellow corn in it, and white, for whatever reason, is uh, more desirable. So uh, it is a food-grade corn. We sell it to uh, a, a local elevator company that sells it probably into St. Louis is where it eventually ends up, but it ends up being, I'm sure some of it ends up being used for animal feed, and some of it uh, is I know some of it is used uh, to make cornmeal uh, for human consumption. And the other, uh, our, even though our corn is a hybrid, it is not genetically modified. So we, you know, we circumvent that whole issue of genetically modified uh, plants. And we've actually had uh, a couple uh, different people or a couple different companies call us and you know, ask us if we would be willing to sell the grain to them, you know, because it is not genetically modified. So it's possible that we could be smoking a corn cob pipe after eating a meal that was grown <laughs> off of that cob. Yeah, that, yeah, Brian, that is possible. You could uh, you could be uh, eating something with a tortilla in it and, and uh, smoking a corn cob pipe, and uh, they could be related. So there, there we go. The multi-purpose material. <laughs> hey, it's a, it's truly, it's multi-purpose, and nothing is wasted out of it. Even the, uh, the, the stalks and the shucks from the corn are used uh, by, uh, by farmers in the area either for bedding for animals or uh, as uh, uh, feed for the cattle for their cattle. So every part of our, of our. Uh, crop gets used that's amazing it's the it's the original environmentally friendly product you bet it is so going back to the now we've got pipes um 
Is there an average kind of a lifespan or how many, an, an average kind of smokes that we should get out of a corncob pipe? And the, the reason I ask this is one of my great-grandfather's pipes that I have, and I couldn't verify if it's a Missouri Meerschaum because it's old and smoked a lot, uh, was a corncob. And I still have it, and it's still in good shape. Yeah, they, you know, we get, we do get asked that a lot by either people who are new to it, uh, primarily people who are new to pipe smoking or new to corncob pipes. And there, I, I wish there was a standard answer to it, but there really isn't. We have, uh, uh, older gentlemen who will, who will come by here every once in a while and they'll have a, a oh a handful of corncob pipes and they'll say I've been smoking these pipes for 20 years and uh, and obviously those pipes they they must have let them dry out in between smoking and they and the cobs uh, were just were very good hard ones and uh, those those lasted a long time then others other times we'll have uh, a cob that somebody will smoke for a month and you know it'll develop a crack in the side of it or something like that and uh, sometimes those defects in the cobs for instance a crack we can't see it when we're manufacturing it it won't manifest itself until someone has actually uh, uh, smoked something in it, and then then it'll separate. But we, and that's one thing we pride ourselves in. I mean, we know that these, uh, that it's a corn cob, and there may be a defect in it that we can't see. So we will gladly uh, will replace a defective pipe with no questions asked. But as far as how long it will last, I've been uh, smoking the same pipes here for five years. Uh, there's because I have two or three here that for whatever reason, they're the ones I usually grab to smoke. And uh, uh, like I said, I've been smoking the same ones for five years. And we had a, uh, at the, the recent pipe show in St. Louis, uh, there was an older gentleman that came in. He came in, he had bib overalls in, just a really nice old man or older gentleman, and uh, he pulled out two corncob pipes out of his, his bibs, and uh, they were both ours. They had our name on it, and he said, I bought these pipes from you guys back in the early 90s, and he said, I finally need some new pipes. And <laughs> what had happened, he the cake had built up so much in it that he just had very little tobacco chamber left. Uh, but so his pipes lasted for, what, 20 years? Uh or a little over 20 years, maybe 24, 25 years. So, uh, so it just, you know, it just depends, Brian, you know, some of them will last, uh, for a long time, you know, and others may only last a short period of time. But the good thing is, as most people know, that, uh, there our pipes are inexpensive and that's our whole mission. You know, our, uh, what we want to do, uh, and I think this has been the company's mission from the very beginning, we want to make a good smoking pipe that anybody can afford. And we kind of pride ourselves in that. And what I've enjoyed doing with them, because I bought some from you back in the Richmond show, is uh, not only using them for a time when I was just running out and I wanted to throw a pipe in my pocket, was uh, using them for taste testing because they give a very neutral, sweet taste, and I can try a tobacco in it without having any ghosting from my previous tobaccos that might have been in that pipe. Yeah, and we and what we try to do at the pipe shows, and you may have uh, seen it at some of them. We there's a uh, one of our smaller pipes that we make is called an Eaton. It's just a natural cob it doesn't have any uh, plaster of paris on the bowl but uh 
that we try to sell those for just very cheap at the the uh, pipe show so that people can do just what you were talking about use them to try out uh, new tobaccos and especially at the pipe shows because you're usually somebody's usually giving out samples of tobacco and uh, and but I do the same thing here uh, I'll uh, if I get a new tobacco it seems like I'm always buying some tobacco uh, some as you know there's an endless supply of tobacco out there and it seems like I always see a one that I've not tried before and I want to buy it so I'll get some of it and grab uh, one of these Eden pipes or one of the others and try it and you really do get the uh, the true flavor of that of the tobacco I don't in my opinion the the corncob pipe doesn't impart any flavor to the tobacco so what you're tasting is just the you know just the pure taste of the tobacco now speaking of tobacco we also have some news coming from you on some new tobaccos coming out that's right we've uh as far as i know even though we've been in existence uh for 145 years and have been in the pipe business for that entire time continuously from even looking back in all the old literature that we have here. The one thing that Missouri Meerschaum never did uh, was uh, have any uh, pipe tobacco that had its name on it or have any pipe tobacco that was blended, uh, I guess, specifically to bring out the uh, uh, blended so that its characteristics are brought out best in a corncob pipe. So uh, uh, this year, uh, and it will be uh, with, at the uh, Chicago Pipe Show uh, in particular, uh, we will be uh, bringing out uh, a Missouri Meerschaum uh, branded or, or a, a line of Missouri Meerschaum branded tobaccos. Uh, and there will be four different ones, uh, each with uh, their own characteristics uh, and uh, blended uh, basically to, like I said, to uh, so that their characteristics are best enjoyed in a corncob pipe. And I'm sure they're good enough tobaccos they can be enjoyed in any pipe, but they're specifically being uh, blended for that, uh, you know, for that for those pipes. And, and we're not... really we are really excited about that. That's because, uh, as like I said, as far as I can tell, the company has never done that in 145 years. And they're not being blended by just anybody. No, they're they're being blended by uh, by somebody that that the, uh, the, the the industry knows well and is well respected, you know, in the industry. Can I spill the beans, or should I hold on to? Them? No, I think you can spill those beans because I don't want to. I don't want to let people know that Russ is doing it unless Russ wants people to know that Russ Olet's doing them. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I think Russ. Let me let me tell you for sure. Russ is very proud of him, and he should be because uh, I've been trying. Uh, you know, this has been going on for several months now, and I've been, uh, you know, trying the samples that he sends me, and uh, he's proud of him, and he has every, in my opinion, he has every right to be. So, uh, yeah, Russ Ouellette is the is the blender. And this could be the first time ever where the tobacco costs you two times more than the pipe does. <laughs> Yeah, it very, very well could be. But as I said earlier, you know, we're kind of proud of that fact that, uh, uh, like the, the the one story with this older gentleman that I was telling you about that was at the pipe show, uh, he uh, he had bought some tobacco 
from uh, an exhibitor next to us, and he came over and he was uh, he pulled out those pipes and he said, "I've only got twenty bucks left to spend, and I'm here to replace these two pipes." And uh, so we we picked out two really good, uh, nice uh, diplomat pipes uh, for him, and uh, you know he we gave him the pipes, he gave us his twenty bucks, and uh, you know I thanked him profusely and thanked him for smoking our pipes, and he says, "No," he says, "I want to thank you." He said, "You're the only." Uh, pipe manufacturer I know of that an old gentleman like an old poor gentleman like me can get two great pipes for 20 bucks so so our uh, as I said we're proud of the fact that uh, our pipes are are inexpensive but yet good smoking pipes you know at the end of the day you're really not making corn cob pipes you're making pipe smokers happy yeah and that's and that that makes us happy believe me that's that's one thing that we are are really proud of here we really get a kick out of the stories from you know from uh people about either they just started they don't have much money they just got into pipe smoking and you know they can uh whether they you know end up smoking our pipes forever or not at least they were able to afford to get into the pipe smoking uh hobby and uh, we're we're just you know really proud of that Phil, we'll wrap it up because everybody gets them with the fast five final questions. No right answers, no wrong answers. Well, in your case, there might be one wrong answer. (laughs) Are you ready? I am ready. What's your favorite pipe? Well, it would probably be a Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe. And that's the right answer. What's your favorite tobacco? You know, that I, I don't know that I could tell you what my absolute favorite tobacco is. I can tell you this. If the, the, the type of tobacco I prefer is a good English blend. What's your favorite drink? That one's easy. That's a, a, a bourbon Manhattan. Uh, you should have said corn whiskey. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, bourbon, uh, bourbon is made from corn, so yes, uh, you're right. When it's time to relax, is it a book, a movie, or music? Uh, it would be music, but it would be music while uh, sitting out on the front porch with my wife with a, a corncob pipe full of good tobacco. And finally, any uh, any particularly favorite pipe smoking memory? You know, I I think that probably the best, uh, th- there may be two memories. One of them uh, is my f- very first recollection of a corncob pipe is when I was a little kid walking home from school. Keep in mind, I grew up in a small town in Missouri, walked across the creek, and there was a little house on the right-hand side, and there was a little old lady almost every day sitting on the front porch, literally in a rocking chair with a bonnet on, smoking a corncob pipe. So that's one That's one of my favorite stories. But the other is probably the, the interaction with this older gentleman at the St. Louis Pipe Show recently that you know came in in his bib overalls, pulled the two old corncob pipes out, and then you know, thanked us for uh, for being at, uh, having pipes that even a poor old gentleman like him could afford. So those are probably my favorite stories. So there's another benefit. If you get out to a pipe show, you might see Phil from uh, Missouri Meerschaum, and I know sometimes you bring out some uh, some special stuff just for pipe shows too. Yeah, we yeah we do occasionally. Ever if we're uh, uh, if we have a new pipe that we're thinking about bringing out, you know, we'll bring those to the pipe shows. And uh, we do, uh, we are uh, hopefully going to have a couple new pipes, maybe even three uh, new pipes this year. So uh, at the pipe shows, uh, people come out, they'll probably get to see those. 
Phil, thank you for your time. Thank you for supporting the radio show because you were one of the first ones to jump right on board and get this thing going. No, well, we're we're proud and happy to be able to do that, Brian. It's uh, the pipe smoking community is a great community, and it's it's wonderful to be part of it and to support it. And to learn more about Missouri Meerschaum, the website is corncobpipe.com. That's it. Thanks again, and we'll be back in just a minute. Signore, signore, scusi per favore, but what is that intoxicating and delicious aroma coming from your pipe? Oh, uh, this is Molto Dolce, my all-time favorite blend from Sutliff Tobacco. Do you like it? I found it on SutliffMoltoDolce.com. Do you mind if I try? Oh, signore, this truly is Molto Dolce. So charming that you even speak my language as it is truly very sweet. (laughs) Just like you, I am sure. I can just taste the warm caramel and sweet dripping honey gushing through my mouth. Oh, and even better, the rich vanilla flavor plays so well with the other tastes over my tongue. Pure heaven! Mi piace moltissimo, mi amore. Can't you see it, signore? I can see it. I can see it. And signore, best of all, no tongue bite. Grazie un milione for the pipe, signore. Hey! Sutliff Tobacco Company will not be held responsible for any loss of one's favorite pipe customers may experience when smoking our delicious Balto Dolce blend in public. Welcome back. I wonder if that means that Missouri Meerschaum is the largest uh, pipe production company in the world. I can't imagine anybody else coming close to it. So, All right, coming up in just a few minutes, JDRF auction stuff, mailbag rant got a lot to get through in a little bit of time but we found some music that i thought would be interesting for you i don't believe we've played anything of this style before it's a guy named axel krieger k-r-y-g-i-e-r from buenos aires and uh, it's an interesting modern take on jazz so check this out and not only that he's a pipe smoker and he is regularly photographed smoking his pipe
alfombras, asustas a las muchachas, agigantando tu sombra. Ay, cucaracha, por una maldita bota, tu gótica geometría quedó totalmente rota. song is obviously titled Cucaracha, the artist Axel Krieger. He plays all the instruments on that recording as well as sings. Uh, kind of describe it as a Latin fusion jazz with a little bit of Zydeco and maybe some uh, mariachi. I don't know how else to describe it, but it's guaranteed something we've never played before. All right, we are coming up on the end of week one of the three weeks of JDRF auctions. Remember, all these items have been donated to us, and they are all being auctioned off to support Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. A big thank you to Steve Fallon, the pipe stud, for donating his services and eBay commissions and shipping. That's all coming out of his pocket. Uh, just a, just a snippet of what a type one diabetic goes through. Uh, my daughter had two specialist doctor's visits last Friday. She goes to the endocrinologist four times a year. She sees a neurologist twice a year to monitor neuropathies that might pop up. In addition to that, she goes to a podiatrist twice a year that specializes in monitoring diabetics and an eye doctor twice a year, so all those specialist visits add up and it's more times to poke and prod at her. Uh, last visit, 
She's doing good. They're worried about her vitamin D and iron levels, so now we've got uh, vitamin supplements for that. Currently ending on Saturday morning on eBay, uh, the Peterson and the Big Ben will be ending Saturday morning. Get your bids in. Bidding looks fast and furious on those, and again, I appreciate every little bit of that. We've had a couple of donors donate directly to her walk team, cash donations, which are 100% tax deductible in the United States. Uh, One of the gentlemen that donated from Canada. Really appreciate that. Here is the big news, and this kind of caught me by surprise. We got two unsolicited donations coming in. The first one is from forum member Cosmic Folklore, better known as Michael, and he custom makes jewelry, and occasionally he makes some tampers. Well, coming up this week is one of his absolutely beautiful handmade silver tampers. This one is uh, featuring a piece of white opal, a high-end Lightning Ridge opal from Lightning Ridge, Australia, And he said, if you hold it up to the light, you'll see that it has a red base, not a black one. So it's rare for that region. And sure enough, I held it in my hand. You turn it up to the light, and it just glows red. And again, he makes these out of sterling silver, hand-forged using old-world jewelry techniques, no casting. And he makes the tamper foot concave exactly the way I like it. And uh, my wife's authorized me to uh, bid on it because we know where all the money's going anyway. So uh, thank you again to Michael. We'll have one more of his coming up the week after. So remember, three weeks of auctions. Week one's ending now. Week two is starting this Saturday. And week two's will include, and here's the email that I got from... Rick Newcomb, it says, Brian, great interview with Mark Irwin, and I'm excited to hear about Smoketells.com. I was touched by the story of your daughter having to monitor her blood sugar so closely and want to make a donation. I have a beautiful S-Bang billiard, a group six in size, with a boxwood ring that I'm willing to donate. Olfen Pear gave me this pipe as a gift 20 years ago, and it is a fantastic pipe. If they knew that their gift was helping such a worthy cause, they'd be very supportive. Rick has sent that pipe in. It's going directly to Steve Fallon because I didn't want to have to worry about touching it and then letting it go. It'll be going up for auction on Saturday. It is a just an, an extremely generous gesture. Uh, Rick also said he's going to send in some uh, vintage tobaccos to... Uh, along with that so rick i really appreciate it all that starting on saturday on uh, pipe studs ebay store and uh, i can't thank you guys enough for helping all the uh, type 1 diabetics like my daughter out there you've got mail you've got mail you've got mail Getting caught up on a few things in the mailbag. Uh, going back two weeks ago, Lonesome Piper said in regards to Cardone and the card trick, that was absolutely 100% real. He had he had sent me the email and posted the picture, and I didn't see it until, uh, until he actually told me to look down. Going back to episode 77, uh, there's a couple of comments that I'm not sure I got to. 
One is from James, said, uh, hey, Brian, I really enjoyed the last few shows, but then again, I guess I must if I listen to them all. Anyway, just wanted to pass on my condolences to all those that knew Spider. When I used to order Fader's tobacco, I always tried to get him on the phone. He was nice to talk to and always willing to help in providing advice for other tobaccos similar to what used to be uh, 14,000, the tobacco that was his favorite. Yeah, Spider, great guy. Uh, Andrew wrote, I live in Japan, so when the show is airing, I'm at work and it's Friday morning. But I want to say a friend told me to listen as I've been a member of the forums. I have to say I love coming home after a day of work and listening to your show. Been great going back through past episodes and hearing all the all this wonderful sage wisdom. And then your ramblings too. And he put in a little smiley face, which I don't know how to do those either. Um, thanks a lot and keep up the good work. I'll be listening to today's show tonight when I get home from work. So you're going to be listening to today's show tomorrow, but it's really tomorrow already when it's really today here. Anyway, uh, Domo Arigato, Andrew. Uh, Schnorr wrote last week, Great shows as always. I enjoyed your interview with Jeff. I joined the NASPC right after I listened to the podcast. Happy to support clubs and individuals who contribute so much to our hobby. Uh, he went on to say that he likes when I do experiments and discuss your findings. Uh, he enjoyed the Escudo test. He did say that he travels a lot, and he carries a Missouri Meerschaum with him when he travels. Um, he can get about two or three bowls out of a pipe during the day in humid conditions, or four or five out of a pipe before he notices a change uh, in uh, drier conditions. And then he sums it up with saying, of course, these are my findings, and as you say, I am an expert on my own opinion. I'd enjoy hearing about other people's experiences. Thanks again for another great show. Yeah, I'm, I'm the expert on my own opinion, too. And covering some comments from last week's show, John Seiler chimed in first again. Yay! Uh, the new audio sounds great. Smoketells.com sounds like a great idea. A good catch with the Mark Irwin interview. It sounds like the Peterson Chronicles will be very interesting when it comes out. Being a Lord of the Rings fan, I enjoyed his book on pipe smoking in Middle Earth. So there you go. And John's rule to my rant is uh, on new tobacco is to buy at least two tins. Smoke one and put one away. If you don't like it now, you may enjoy it years from now. Taste does change even in tobacco. Uh, Dino said, man, I can't wait for Mark Irwin's book. I've been hearing about it for quite a while and imagine it's been a daunting task. I have 10 Peterson pipes in my collection, including my new very cool Dracula 999, and every pipe is a great smoke. Uh, Dino also says, as a retired inner city public school teacher, I loved hearing Mark's enthusiasm for teaching middle school kids. You rock, Mark. And Dino liked... Uh, Howlin' Wolf and uh, Charlie Parker. Uh, Safari Pete says, Hi, Brian, as usual, interview with Mark Irwin. Very, very good. I, too, have a soft spot for my smooth Sherlock Holmes pipes. The Moran and Milverton are my favorites. Can't wait for Mark's Peterson book. I usually listen to each podcast twice, once live, and then the next night to see if I missed anything. At 65 years old, I don't retain all the info in just one listen. I truly hope your daughter's auction and donations bring much money. I do know what chronic 
disease can do to one's spirit. Seems like your daughter is quite a trooper. Bless her. It's about time for research to find a cure. We can only hope. Should have a box coming your way. Can't wait, Peter. And uh, thank you again for the Peterson. Uh, Balsifer up in Canada. Great episode this week. Been looking to add one or two new pipes in my collection. As for Smoketells.com, sounds interesting. I wonder if their hotels include listings in Canada and Europe. Yes, they do. I double-checked both Montreal and Toronto, and there's listings there. It's anywhere in the world. It's about 100,000 total properties, so anywhere in the world. Uh, Casey Ghost wrote, I hope our pipe-smoking travelers will give Smoketells.com a try before booking a room. This is something that could be very useful. Uh, Nice interview with Mark Irwin. I'm not a Pete fan myself, so it lost a little impact on me. You have to admire a man that is willing to teach middle schoolers. Those rascals think they are entitled to everything without putting forth any effort, and their parents are worse. Uh, Brian is right. Pipers can be cheap bastards. Gosh forbid they buy a copy of a magazine when they can just read yours or just sample your tobacco. (laughs) Anyway, uh, Fuel Pump said Aaron Gobra. Uh, is that Hawaiian? No. Uh, anyway, happy St. Patrick's Day. Really enjoyed the interview. I liked hearing about Peterson Pipes. Mark is a true expert through years of work and study. As you stated in the show, there are just everyday pipe smokers, but I find that I have the most in common with the people who go beyond that. Enjoyed the show and keep the interesting people talking. Capture the information before it's lost. And he liked the new sound, too. All right, there you go. That's the mailbag. Rant time, coming up next. There's nothing quite like fishing at dawn or smoking my genuine Missouri Meerschaum corncob pipe, an American legend since 1869. It's the coolest, smoothest pipe I've ever owned. Check them out at corncobpipe.com. I'm not just a pipe smoker. I'm a Meerschaum pipe smoker. All of my pipes come from MeershamStore.com. They've been in business for 50 years, and I can trust that there will be no hassles. Orders are processed and shipped fast, and they have every shape you can imagine, including calabash, claws, dragons, horror, even a sexy series. MeershamStore.com, the most trusted Meersham store for 50 years. Do you need a reliable source for ordering pipes and tobacco? Do you find it difficult to get your favorite blends outside of the U.S.? Fournoggins.com stocks all of your favorite pipes and tobaccos and ships all over the world. All forms of payment are accepted and orders are processed the same day. There are no worries when ordering from Fournoggins.com. Fournoggins.com is your source for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. We ship in the U.S. and international with no worries. Fournoggins.com for all of your pipes and tobacco needs. This is Internet Radio. Cowboy. Cowboy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Let me get this in here real quick because uh, we're running late and Kevin's got a date and I got to get home and see Harry Connick Jr. on his new show that he's uh, rescued. But anyway, here it is. So there's all these dating sites, you know, Match.com, eHarmony.com, ChristianSingles.com. Well, then I just saw one for FarmersOnly.com or something like that where apparently if you want to marry a farmer, that's the place you go. So I did a little research and then saw this little report on uh, NPR a while back about over 250 different specific dating sites. 250 of them. So hey, somebody needs to start a pipe smokers only dating site. Want to date a pipe smoker? There you go. Pipe smokers only or we love pipers or something like that dot com where you can go online, put in your profile, make sure that you like the same kind of tobaccos and you can be a happy couple too. So There's over 250 of these different dating sites out there right now. Why shouldn't there be one for pipe smokers? I wonder if there's one for uh, left-handed people that like oranges and uh, and used to be uh, really big Dodger fans. Sorry, I had to plug that one in there because baseball season's coming up. But anyway... All right, there's the quick rant on all these different dating sites. And, you know, just go out to a bar and pick up somebody. It makes it a whole hell of a lot easier. But uh, there you go. Hey, keep an eye on those JDRF auctions on the Pipe Studs eBay store. We do appreciate that. Follow us on Facebook. Pipes Magazine Radio Show has its own Facebook page. Follow me there. If you're on iTunes and you haven't had a chance, please leave us a rating or review. We do appreciate those. We know there might be a little bit of an issue right now with iTunes and having the shows listed correctly in the iTunes store. But once you accept it and subscribe, they should all download right to your player automatically. So there you go. Hope everybody enjoyed the show. want to thank Phil for joining me. Check us out next week, same time, 8 p.m. Eastern time. Let your friends know about the Pipes Magazine radio show. Thank you to the Sutliff Tobacco Company. And until next time. The clouds when we're together. Just sing a song and think about sunny weather. Celebrity voice was impersonated, and portions of this show were randomly deleted by Kevin Godby because that's how he rolls.